Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. On this final episode of the year, I sit down with the editor of Adoramus Bulletin, Christopher Carstens, and the executive director for the Center for Beauty and Culture at Benedictine College, Dr. Dennis McNamara. We get to spend some time talking about what happened this year in terms of liturgy, in terms of news, where we think liturgy is headed, and we talk a little bit about what is a liturgist. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Hello, Dennis, and hello, Chris. Hi, Jesse. Hello, Jesse. Hi, Dennis. Hello, Clarice. (laughs) Hello, Clarice. Wrong movie. (laughs) Wrong podcast. Uh, So... We are kind of at the end of the year for our Adoramus Bulletin podcast, and we thought it'd be a good time to maybe have a a good conversation and then kind of talk a little bit about what's happening in the liturgy world. And uh, but but first, I think you know, two thousand the year twenty twenty and twenty twenty one were a bit difficult for liturgists, as we all know, uh, with the distance masses and then trying to figure out how to get everything back and and all of that type of stuff. But uh, I thought it'd be good to maybe discuss a little bit about, especially in the in light of what we all have been experiencing the last couple of years, what a liturgist is and what a liturgist isn't. So, uh, Chris, do you want to mm. kick this off? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you? Um, what if, if you could describe a liturgist? What uh, What would he or Fussy, she be like? Irritating, persnickety, <laughs> detail oriented. Obsessive, compulsive, and unhappy. That's a liturgiologist, <laughs> that's Dennis. Me. We're talking about liturgists. <laughs> oh. oh, that's pretty good, though. I was looking up uh, liturgist jokes uh, before the podcast, and this one says, uh, I think it's from Father uh, Father Ruff. On, he said that liturgists are people who think that if they put the credence table in just the right spot, then the people will come. <laughs> So that kind, I like of, it. that kind of describes yours. Or, uh, well, that was uh, the old-timey liturgist. I, I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, there's a lot of liturgists that play, I don't know, that seem to play pretty fast and loose with the uh, uh, with, with some of the norms. But, you know, with this, the credence table. Yeah. With the, I know. They've got it completely <laughs> in the wrong spot. <laughs> um, have you heard this other one? Uh, uh, I, I think maybe I've said this one on the Liturgy Guys podcast before. How many persons of the Trinity does a liturgist think that there are? Hmm. Four? He, do- he doesn't know and he doesn't care as long as they're all in the right place when Mass starts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, I like that. I've never heard that before. That's no, good. that's a pretty good one. Yeah, but you're right, Dennis. I mean, probably liturgists have this reputation as being just like you said you know uh just caring about uh, the details and the minutiae of the liturgy and things like that without giving you know giving a, a care a concern about what's what's really going on behind the scenes which as i say i've always like you dennis i've been kind of confused about that too because not all liturgists uh, seem to be that uh, concerned but Anyway, you started to make a, I don't know, one of you did a distinction between, uh, we want to reclaim the, uh, the, the glory of the liturgist, uh, in this little interview before we yeah, look at some liturgical liturgists, news. Yeah, we're all liturgists, right? Yeah. Well, what's, what do you have in mind there, Jesse? I mean, cause in some ways we are, we all, I mean, I'm probably, uh, professionally the most, uh, liturgist like because I work in a liturgy office, but you know, Dennis, you spend your time teaching about liturgy to college mm-hmm. students and to mm-hmm. parishes and you're a liturgical mm-hmm. consultant liturgical mm-hmm. author and dennis you di- or jesse you direct a liturgical institute 
uh, and to, you know, have liturgical conferences and you're flying off to a liturgical conference. So, you know, all of us could be considered liturgists in one way or another. But what really is a, a liturgist? Well, what would David Fagerberg say? That's always uh, the question. We should make some little rubber bracelets that say WWDFS, where he would probably make it what would even Aiden Kavanaugh say, right? So and like Chris the, would make it say, what does Aiden Nichols say? Uh, yeah, of course. Aiden he Nichols. Would. You ever? No, anyway. <laughs> but what's the deal? I mean, I can, I can tell you what I think David Fagerberg has said for a long time. Yeah. Unless, Jesse, you want to you no, take you, the glory? No, it's all you. Ah, the liturgist is one who prays the liturgy. Liturgiologist is one who studies the liturgy. And sometimes studying gets in the way of prayer. He doesn't say the last part. That was my editorial. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's true. He, when I was in his class, he'd say the liturgist or the liturgiologist uh, knows the best deal on palms for Palm Sunday or where to buy the sentiest uh, balsam for the chrism. That He knows the, the details like that. But who do you remember who he would call? He put a name on uh, Mrs. the liturgist. Uh, Mrs. Murphy, wouldn't you know? <laughs> Why is Mrs. Murphy a liturgist? Because she prays. She goes to Mass, she prays, and she's not worried too much about all the liturgical details, but a liturgist is one who, who prays. Yeah. So participates in, in the liturgy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, in, you know, I suppose, I guess it's just a matter of terminology, but the liturgiologists might deserve the, uh, uh, the liturgy jokes, but uh, the liturgist one who prays, who participates in God's work for his glory and the salvation of the world. Uh, that's what every baptized person is and should be when uh, he or she comes to Mass. Well, remember Monsignor Mannion's insight about the Liturgical Institute, about pastoral liturgy. So all liturgical education is pastoral because you, you have to present the truth to the people. And uh, there's no such thing as a division between knowing and doing. I mean, we make artificial divisions, but... You certainly want to, you wouldn't want a, liturgi a liturgiologist who doesn't pray, but you also doesn't you don't want necessarily a person who prays who doesn't know what they're praying. So, mm -hmm. like the like most things here in Adoramus world and liturgical institute world and center for beauty and culture world, we'll find that blended middle of the Venn diagram, right? Yeah, I, I think so too. We talked about this a little bit. We were on a podcast last night, if you guys remember, the uh, Pints and Pews uh, podcast. And oh, that's what that was? That's what that was. It, it wasn't just us sitting around drinking uh, pints of beer, Jesse. Okay, too many pints, not enough yeah. pews, probably. Dennis, do you still have that beer on your desk, probably, or did you finish that off? No, I poured it down the sink, mostly. Because <laughs> it wasn't very delicious. Yeah. It, well, anyways, we were talking last night. You know, if you, if you go to Benedictine College and you see students not only taking classes from you about the liturgy, but you also run into those students uh, at the... At the 12, what is it, 12 o'clock mass, 12, 12 mass, 12, 10 mass. Yeah. You see those same students. Um, doesn't President Minnis uh, lead the rosary each morning or something like that? I think once, once a week or so. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, so it, it's this combination of knowledge, but also actually doing things. And it's the same with the Liturgical Institute. I got this very sweet little note from, well, two sweet notes from students in the liturgical movement class that said, uh, I learned so much and it's totally transformed the way I pray. Isn't that mm. awesome? Mm. If you know what you're supposed to be doing, then it should transform the way you pray and not just be a separate world of academic knowledge versus, you know, It should have said, prayer. totally changed the way I liturgize. Well, there's that too. I liturgiologize. <laughs> but in some ways, that, that's exactly what that means, isn't it? And what a better, what a better compliment. And, you know, I've always thought that too. I, you know, 
I never wanted to be a liturgist. I didn't even know what a liturgist was when I was a kid. Uh, but um, and you think about things liturgical, and it's all this arguing about this, that, or the other thing. And and there's a lot of some of that has to happen, absolutely. But the real joy and beauty and treasure of being a, a liturgist is helping people to pray, and uh, that's a pretty awesome thing. But and but you're right. So we try to do it at the LI Liturgical Institute and Benedictine and Adoramus does too. We talk about serious things, but in the end, you know, if we can not only get priests to celebrate the liturgy more faithfully and traditionally and beautifully and uh, authentically, but get people to pray it more fruitfully, then that's uh, all for the good. Anyway. Hey, I'm all for that. I think You're all for great. that? Yeah, oh, right. yeah, absolutely. All right. So fruit we're on the same page for everyone. Fruit of the week. Well, let me ask a follow-up question to both of you then. Every now and again, you'll see an essay, you know, ha- has the liturgical movement succeeded or is the liturgical movement succeeding? And Jesse, you said that, uh, I mean, all three of us are in the mix uh, to some degree. Is it, uh, are we making any ground? I think so. I mean, yes. They the didn't put a timeline movement. on it. They didn't say, oh, in 30 years, you know. Well, what's, the, what's your evidence, Dennis? Well, I think they hoped that the, I mean, if you read, one of my questions on the final for the liturgical movement class was, the phrase liturgical movement does not appear in, Sacrosanct Gilliam, and yet it's a document of the liturgical movement. And I think they thought this was all settled stuff. Pius XII talked about it. We had all these things, all these definitions, all the way back to Pius X and earlier. And uh, somehow the truth of it didn't get out. You know, one student sent me this uh, video clip of Elvis singing in a Catholic church. <laughs> I forget what the name of the movie was. Mary Tyler Moore was a nun, and Elvis was this musician, and he's standing up in the in the sanctuary with a with a guitar. And it's what we call the extraordinary form now, right? So it's before the council. Anybody who was healthy at that time would not have thought that was a good idea, right? So somehow we just like skipped 50 years of, of not knowing how to interpret the liturgical movement. And now we're actually reading the documents, understanding the proper hermeneutic for reading them. Even what we're doing, what we're talking about, you know, no church authority said Christopher Carson. Well, maybe your bishop or something. But no church authority has said you must recover the liturgical movement, right? It's just the spirit is flowing. And you see artists everywhere, architects doing traditional stuff. You have this recovery of chant. People are writing new uh, polyphony. People are starting their own businesses, making these beautiful investments. Stained glass is having a recovery. So all the liturgical things, the arts, the, the actual authentic interpretation of of Sacrosanctum, I see it going on all over the place, and maybe not. It's an it's not in every little town or every big suburb, but there's a real energy going around right now. Well, I think some evidence too is well. Both Jesse and I were at uh, Benedictine for a couple of uh, podcasts uh, in front of uh, rooms full of uh, students, and you know, just to see young people uh, th- that an, that a eighteen year old would write. Uh, her professor a note saying that I can pray better at mass. Thank you. This class has been great. I mean, I mean the evidence is uh, uh, in all in the student body at Benedictine, and also at the the liturgical institute's online classes. You know, there's more and more students and more and more grading to do and things like that. And I even I just wrapped up a class for the uh, Avila Institutes. Uh, they call it the Propedeutic Year, the Higher Calling. This is for men who are just about to enter into the uh, to the seminary, and it's kind of a transition year. And I had this class on uh, the spirituality of the Liturgy of the Hours. I had more students in this class than in 
any of the last three or four that I've taught. And they're all, they're so impressive with, uh, you know, the, the spirituality that they bring to the liturgy that, um, I don't know, I've, I think there's a lot to be optimistic about, even while there are clearly things to be, uh, work to be done uh, in, the, in the apostolate, but it's good stuff. I agree. I totally agree. And, you know, I'm kind of an idealist anyway, so I'm, I'm hopeful for all of this. But, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the whole reform of the right was a big deal for people. And I like to say that some of us still have, uh, who are old enough to understand or old enough to experience it firsthand, have liturgical baggage. They have maybe issues before or issues after or issues during. And so a lot of us here are kind of fresh eyes looking at this, looking at what the figures of the liturgical movement were saying and doing and detached from any, you know, emotional experience <laughs> with the reform of the right or anything like that. And I don't know, I just think there's something unique about that and, and kind of like a clear understanding without that excess stuff. Mm. Yeah. Hey, uh, one last question before we we wrap this up for for both of you. What uh, what are your What do I want? What are you going to get me for Christmas? Well, I think uh, <laughs> I'm going to get you the uh, the uh, Liturgy Week uh, online uh, a pack for one ninety nine. Oh just yeah, just in time for Christmas. Oh yeah. So no, if you have a, I hope this is not too silly of a question. What's um, what are you looking forward to in the liturgical world? Again, either in your own arena or personally, or in uh, the church or whatever, uh, in the year to come. What's what do you What's on the horizon? What are you optimistic about? What are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to reading a new book by two of my best friends and a third person on the solemnities of the church that will be coming out next year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to writing that myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more about this uh, this book, Jesse, if well, you, you can. can. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I, you guys are writing a book. Uh, along with uh, an LA graduate, Alexis Katarna, on the solemnities in the liturgical year and breaking out different parts of it and working with Ascension Press um, to, uh, to get that written. So, Yeah, yeah I'm, uh, I'm excited about that, too, because Dennis is uh, one of most uh, frequent and popular authors in Adoramus, and Alexis is in uh, issues of uh, Adoramus over the past few years, too. I knew I was so, frequent, but I didn't know it was popular. That's good to hear, Chris. Oh, you are. You are. Oh, Dennis, you already wrote your portion of the book, right? That's done? I wrote a bunch of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just tying up some loose ends. Mm -hmm. crossing no, but that'll be it. That, I'm very excited about that, you know, uh, coming out. But mm -hmm. I'm also very excited about some of the things that you know, are on the horizon for the Liturgical Institute. Chris, I was telling you this while we were waiting for Dennis, but very interested in figuring out how we can get content from the LI and resources from the LI to trickle down to the parochial level and really have effective change rather than just saying, hey, here's all this information, you figure it out, you know, digest it and then impart it on your parish because that's very hard to do. So if we can kind of be a part of that as an institution, uh, it's easy to say you should be chanting things in the mass to somebody at a parish, but it's much better to say this is how you could start doing this at your parish at a practical level. So I'm really looking forward to more of that, you know, practical uh, information to be disseminating. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Dennis, what, uh, 
What about uh, at the Center for Beauty uh, and Culture, which you're the director? Yes, I direct myself mostly, but we have... Are you an executive uh, director? Yes, I am, in fact. Okay. I execute directors. That's what I do. <laughs> um, the picked my first crop of Angelico Fellows. They're named for Fra Angelico, who is the Dominican priest and painter who was known for his art that was so beautiful. His name was John, Giovanni di Fiesole. And they started calling him Brother Angelic, the Angelic Brother, because his art was so good at bridging the gap between heaven and earth. So the Angelico Fellows are a group of students, incoming freshmen and also existing students, whose job it is to commit their lives to this. We're going to be a confraternity of prayer, first of all, and uh, come, hopefully write the very first novena to uh, for Angelico. His feast day is February 18th. And hopefully have a perfectly celebrated Mass on his uh, feast day. Still mm-hmm. trying to work that out, if we can get it done by February 18th. Um, but also to promote knowledge of beauty around the campus, what it is theologically, and to let that uh, really percolate. You know, Benedictine's amazing in that they have started the Transforming Culture in America. That's their next big strategic plan. Strategic plans are usually, you know, let's build a new sewage treatment plant, uh, increase the books in the library and uh, increased student body. That's not what they said here. They said, we're going to transform culture in America. Part of it is having students who learn. And I, uh, I just put a new class in the curriculum called Sacramental Aesthetics and I have 36 people in it, even though the limit is 26. I let 10 extra students in and mm-hmm. I could have let more. But there's this eager uh, desire to understand this. So it's, it's very encouraging. Plus, to go to Mass here at the Abbey every day, they're using Adam Bartlett's propers. They just had a monk who had a solemn profession on Saturday who's this amazing voice, and uh, he's using those things and leading the people in how to sing. Every now and then I take a little bit, a video clip when I'm at Mass of somebody singing Adam Bartlett's propers, and I text it to him and say, you did this, right? In case you're wondering, our students are learning to sing propers in Gregorian chant because of, of you. And so, you know, I'm living here in the the rose-colored glasses of Catholic uh, Disneyland in some ways here at Benedictine. But 500 graduates every year are going to make a difference, you know, and in 10 years, that's 5,000 graduates. And what are they going to be doing and how are they going to be living in the world? So I'm very uh, feeling very grateful lately to to Mm. get to do what I do where I get to do it. Awesome. Yeah, for my part, uh, the most... And that uh, is all the time we have for today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, the, briefly, then, uh, we've been working hard with some uh, uh, some new friends I met in Australia. And we're going to open up. Uh, uh, we have plans to open up a uh, an actual printing and publishing sort of beachhead uh, in Australia itself, rather than printing these things here and putting them on a cargo ship and sending them across the. Pacific to Australia. So we're uh, working currently to make arrangements for that. And we're going to have uh, feature some uh, pretty famous uh, Australian authors on liturgical topics and hope to make some uh, some waves in the liturgical world uh, down under. So I'm grateful for uh, the work that's been done on that and looking forward to getting that off the ground in 2022 as well. So, Well, that it sounds exciting, Chris. That really it does. Is. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, very, very blessed to, like you, Dennis, uh, very grateful to uh, to have, uh, th- the initiative was one of our readers uh, in Australia, so glad about that. And uh, and Jesse, you, uh, in, in part, I was introduced to this group, Perusia Media, uh, through mm-hmm. you. Uh, they're, they're a big uh, part of, um, 
of help, helping this become a reality as well. So we're very optimistic about uh, publishing in Australia and New Zealand in the next year. Great. So, anyway. Well, I think that's uh, that's all good. We learned we learned a little bit about liturgists. We learned a little bit about what's uh, on the horizon and what's working and what could work. So thank you very much, guys, for joining me for this. This is great. 